0: okay, people, here we are, the day you've been waiting for, um, so, a lot of controversy with the, the post on Facebook, I know, um, but that's kind of what I want, uh, because it gives you a little bit, uh, insight into seeing what I have to deal with a lot of times, and, um, when I go into something like that on Facebook, which I do a lot, I, I want to be able to explain everything, but it's sometimes it's not the right forum. Uh, plus, I was going to be discussing all this on the podcast, so um, it's easier just to do that and give them a, a little taste of it on a Facebook as a teaser. But this is serious stuff. It's not something that's funny. It's not something that uh, is like a paranoid skits. It's not not there to scare you. It's just true. Um, And this is the first time it's going to be a little emotional, maybe. Not that I know those things, but um, it's the first time I've ever talked about my processes um, outside of uh, the actions of actually doing them. Uh, So I've always uh, kept that to myself because it's something I adapted um, to work better with who I am. And if I'm a better person, then I will be able to h- help others in a better way, if it makes sense. I'm, plus, I need to be able to have a, a true, uh, in-depth understanding of, of what I'm speaking about. That's why I like to speak about emotional, or not emotional, but the uh, things that I have experienced in my life. Um, uh, which just so happens to be a lot of the uh, uh similarities to people that come and talk with me because it's about core issues and core issues we'll get into the explanation of the uh, really what that what it means to me and what why i deal with only those and um uh, the importance of them and how in the importance of dealing with them the correct way and uh and how important uh it is to address them unlike m- normal Western society who is staying clear of them. So I did a, a two-part series uh, the other day. Um, and that series on the brain was basically a preamble. And it was for uh, me to get out the concept of uh, that I knew some of you would struggle with. Um, but I needed that out there because most of, the, of what I'm talking about today is based mostly on that. And that is about the sense data, how it lies to you and how the brain wakes it up. Uh, and how it works on perpetual uh, perceived reality, meaning uh, basically the reality of it is it's wrong. Um, everything that you know, pretty much. Uh, because the, uh, the brain and its memory and the data coming out of the senses kind of lie. And so therefore when they lie, then it's put in, it's basically the truth, but then it continues to compound on everything on top of it over and over again, which just means you're building on it. But you're building on a lie and you don't know that um if you take a relationship for example it's a perfect example if um, at least for me i build these things and it can't be a lie or it comes crumbling down really quickly um and depending on how far it got uh, really hard um because i if you're building upon something that is a false uh then you if you're trying to build it correctly and you're trying to build it the strongest it can be, and you don't know where the fault line is that you're building on because you didn't. Somebody didn't lie to you, and didn't tell you. That's how it goes. That's where you're not going That's where it's gonna fall. Um, and so, when I say coming out party, that's what I meant. I was gonna be coming out and actually uh, explaining for the first time uh, some of the um, processes and, uh, uh, use some examples of what, how I do things. Uh, and this whole thing has been, uh, coming about for, for years. I would always have people, um, questioning what I did. They, they never really talked to me about it, but they're, they're like, what gives you the right to, you know, as they say, mess with somebody's head. And that shows lack of intelligence and lack of knowledge uh, because they have no idea what I'm doing. They're just perceiving whatever they... like. uh, They've never talked to anybody. And if they have, they would never say such things. So uh, even some of the closest people to me, uh, when they saw me doing uh, it in different forms, their first reaction was, you shouldn't be messing with something you don't know about. And of course it was not something I've told them that I had experience. in. so, um, I could understand their, uh, concern anyway, because you are messing with, it, it is somebody's brain. And so therefore it's their life. Um, pretty much. But don't forget my way of, I, I'm not saying it, it's teaching because I don't teach and I don't, and when they say counsel, uh, those are their words. I I speak, okay? That's uh, how I put it. Um, I talk about my own experiences. um, And if you can relate to those, great. I have a lot to say about my own experiences. And um, my thought processes, I speak about those um, because I think differently. And that's my slogan for the, uh, not only for the cult and everything, it's uh, for life because I do think differently. I'm dyslexic and um, well, that doesn't have anything to do with thought. I mean, I've done, we did some studies and uh, we won't get into it eh, because it's not important right now about if you read backwards and that's your your guys' words, if you read backwards, do math backwards and do you think backwards? I'm like, only when I try to think about, like think like you. And that's what I have to say, because literally that's backwards to me, where it's my, what I do is backwards to you. So yeah, it's a little punny thing that they usually don't get, but um, that's because they think backwards. (laughs) So um, this whole thing about the counseling is not counseling. I talk about people that usually have similar experiences to mine, and I simply talk about my experiences and what happened with that. And, uh, over the many years at 51 now, uh, how I didn't deal with them, um, how I did deal with them, how I dissolved them. And that's why they're usually in front of me as because that's what they've come for. And they're really serious because as a, as a filtration process, um, for them to get to me and to even be able to ask, because that is the first, uh, the first thing it's the first way to get something that you want uh you have to ask for it and so they just happen to ask the right person because most of who i speak with i i'm speaking with them on somebody else's behalf meaning somebody else came to me and said hey i need you to talk to so-and-so and i will at that point say well you have to send them over and you know uh red rover red rover we don't send Cyrus over they you gotta come over to me and uh, and they have to ask i can't i won't even have anything to do with it if it's not asked upon by the actual person i don't we don't take it you know asked upon by somebody else be it a lover be it an ex-lover be it a friend no that person has to come to me on the like come to me and ask me now that is um All of them. There's no exceptions usually for that rule. Um, But the... uh, But that's a big step. And as I said, a lot of people ask about, well, how do you figure out who you should help or not? Well, I don't. I mean, really, like, I don't figure it out. I wait until somebody needs... It and then they ask, and usually they're coming to me as a total stranger. Um, nine like 90% of the people I've talked with are total strangers. They were either got to me through somebody told them to go, Hey, that you should go talk to Osiris. Well, they don't know who I am, and uh, this filtration process was you know, how, how do you really do that without being biased of some sort and whatnot? Well, this is how you do it. You have somebody else vows, they say that I should go there. They know, um, they're saying go to me for a reason, so that's a good thing. Um, second of all, it shows me that that person, A, has thought about the issues that they have, admitted it, and they have spoken it, obviously, um, to who it doesn't matter most likely they run down the gamut of help which is usually in that disorder specifically but they usually don't want to talk to their parents about it they might talk to a friend a female or male friend depending um, but sometimes you're too embarrassed to speak to anybody they know about it. Um, Maybe the effects of what the traumatic experience that they went through that they don't want to talk about has uh, outgoing effects in their everyday life, which is usually the case, to the point where it gets noticed. And uh, whatever form that it's taking at its point of notice is where they're going to be sent for help. Um, So usually it has to do with a counselor of some sort. Be it a counselor for school or, uh, uh, you know, one outside of school, um, and that's usually what happens, or doesn't happen if they're old enough and they realize that they don't want to go to the psychologist because it doesn't help, or the, psycholo- the psych whatever the other one is that gives them drugs, they know they're better than to go there if they don't want if they want the truth because those pills are just numb them or they will you know make them so they just don't feel basically um and that doesn't solve the problem i am um, so they either have not taken that course which is usually better for me um and then somebody else just tells them to come to me so that then i suddenly have a stranger that says hey i guess you're the one i need to talk to and they know that they, ha- they were forced to ask a question, almost. Um, and uh, that's them asking. And uh, we make an appointment for them to come and we- us talk. Now, at that point, I never know what it is that we are supposed to talk about. Um, it could be a myriad of things if you do, like Will. But over time, um, I can pretty much tell you that Core issues are not widely different. And when I mean different, there's about, I'm going to say main ones, about six. Meaning the trauma has happened and it that trauma, when they were, it's usually when they're young, um, but it can be at any age. But the trauma happens back in their childhood childhood. And, um, they've just, it it was either ignored, pushed down, not spoken of, uh, hidden, you name it, why they, it wasn't in the forefront of, of their brain. And, um, now it's, they know they need to get help because it's externally, uh, making a hindering their life. Uh, that's about as all the filtration process I need, they've, recognize they have a problem. They've spoken. it, They sought help. They sought different kinds of help and then they came to a total stranger and asked them to help them. Now, if anybody has been to uh, any kind of counseling of any sort, you'll be either on board or off board with, it's easier to talk to somebody that you don't know because of the judgment aspect of it. And most, if you're saying that's not true, you're pretty much lying to yourself still. You don't want to be sat across from and judged by somebody that, you know, you feel embarrassed. You feel, um, less of a person. You feel like it's your fault. You feel like a, you don't want to show emotions cause you don't want to seem weak. You name it. It'll continue. It's a whole bunch. When you have a total stranger, sometimes it just doesn't matter. You don't know that person. You have no like uh, connection with that person and they'll probably never see you again if you decide to leave. Okay. So total strangers, could be a lot better than somebody they know, especially somebody that their friends might go to see or their parents might see. Um, so hence the, um, this filtration process before it even begins. That's how I've learned to do my weeding out of who I will and won't come see. They do it for me. So, all right. Then... Um, the whole counseling, we, I deal with core issues. The, the core issues are the issues that stem, are, are directly made from the trauma that is, uh, that happened to them back in then. Okay. Once the trauma is experienced, uh, there are certain, uh, reactions, um, that come off of that and those reactions to whatever that trauma events were, um, when not properly taken care of, they start to grow. They start to be like a little cancerous little thing themselves. Okay. Cause there's no release for them. They're pushed down and like, no one wants to deal with it again. Uh, so it stays and never is dealt with in any way, but it just stays and for a long time. It might seem like it's sitting dormant, but you're not really thinking about it. But the whole time, it's actually having effect on your life in, in a, like I said, a myriad of different ways that you would have no idea, not even making that connection, um, because in, you've forgotten about it, or it's like you don't think about it. And every once in a while, when it raises its head because it hits too close to home, it comes back really quick. But then it does, it, you know, it dissipates pretty quickly too. Uh, because we don't think about that or we don't we stay away from things that bring that up uh, typical uh you know way of deflecting or uh you know going back into your cave or or you know uh, making a joke whatever your defense mechanism is your fight or flight either you get real mad and scare people or you run back into your cave and hide and don't deal with people for a while it's one of the two so um it's a defense mechanism so So the core issues are those issues that aren't dealt with after trauma that, um, have such impact on the person's lives that it's, they are sick of it basically. And this is usually sits with, um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, um, a lot of those abuses, um, Are the main core six of them basically now off of those? Does stem a lot of um, symptoms, okay, as we call it. That's what modern or Western modern society and psychology deal with basically on a whole um, is the symptoms that come off of the core issue. They skip the core issue altogether because they don't want to deal with it. Plus, it's not good for business. Um, if you heal the person altogether and they're healed and they are like don't have to come back, well, that's not good for their kind of business, okay? Um, they are in the business of non-preventative medicine, okay? First of all, they're not big on that non for Like, they're not big on that. Then they... then you, the hot, you know, the preventative is not there. Um, so they want repeat customers, so they never truly want to heal them or get them better because that would be a client that they lost. If you will, uh, they want to medicate them and they want to continue no matter what. If they go off the medication, change their mind, they still have the problem and have to come back basically. It's the way they think of it. And that is good for the pockets. Well, thank goodness I'm not a money person, and it's not the way we do things. Um, the greatest joy that you'll ever hear um, or have is not monetary. It's um, verbal, and I don't like words too much, but it's the verbal aspect of somebody appreciating something that you've done and then repeating it and helping somebody else in their own way. And that's the biggest form of flattery I know. Um so that's, that's all I would ask, if I could ask anything, um, would be somebody to go and use and adapt it to their own to be able to use to help others. I don't need a big building that says my name on it, like some people. Um, so there's we sit with the core issues um, and a little bit with the modern psychology. Now, like I said, it was three female psychologists that... Um, called me a cult leader after I was able to help, uh, their, usually I think they were all three, their significant others. And them as psychologists could not help them, uh, for um, who knows why. I don't want to get into why, like, I don't know. Um, but then they ended up coming over and speaking and I could help them. They got very, the female issues, they were psychologists. They got very upset, understandably, sort of. Um, and they all called me a cult leader and me being a pattern person as most of you know once a pattern hits then there's time for a reaction for me and the reactions are pretty life-changing i um, why because that's my life um, and the patterns i live my life by or they live we, we work hand in hand anyway um, the patterns will show you everything um, but we're not getting into patterns this day Um, a little bit, but not a lot. So after the third one said, you you called me a cult leader. Um, I said, well, fuck you. So, um, I said, I was going to do the cult just as a big fuck you to them. Um, so if you guys think I'm just a nice person, then, uh, uh, wrong again. Um, it was basically a fuck you, but it got out of control and it, it just so happened to, uh, uh, start with the podcast and I started seeing the, Positive aspects and uh, started Osiris Ministries, which is the, the business facing nonprofit side of it. Um, now we're looking for buildings, doing a headquarters, and you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, uh, so at the same time, fuck you, I, I need to thank them, and I have. Um, but it was to start that, and then I saw the opportunity on the podcast to. Be able to speak about which I things I do, and this is actually after I don't know thirty five podcasts. This is this is me finally coming out and saying it. I am. I wanted to put it out there and maybe teach some people some things. If not, they'll learn enough about me that they're going to be like, oh, okay. Um, whichever way it goes. So, with modern so- society, psychology um and them only dealing with certain things it is because i can't blame them totally that individual person um if there's if it's state run where they're working in state or federal then their hands are tied in a lot of ways the uh, state or federal will have certain restrictions on what they can and can't say um they have certain restrictions on numbers of what they need to have taking drugs or whatever like they have a lot of BS to deal with. Well, I don't have to work under any of that condition, neither would I. And it's not work what I do. Um, it's work what they do. They do work. They get paid for that. That's work, okay? I don't get paid. I don't ask for money. I, don't, I hate money. Um, and it. I just ask them not to waste my time. Uh, yeah, that's a big thing. So... So in today, if you look at our the human existence today, uh, there's all kinds of, of shit happening, and it's all fucked up. Um, one most important that gives way to what I'm saying here is more of the human beings on the planet are, and we'll stay with the United States because that's where, at least I we know. Um, if you could think about 10 years ago, And the number of people that had these mental disorders and today, I bet that number is tripled. Okay. Suddenly everybody has, and I'm not demeaning it, so don't take it as that, but suddenly everybody has a mental disorder. Okay. Um, And the mental disorder umbrella is quite vast from what the CDC says. Okay. I mean, that's a, they're putting schizophrenic and, uh anxiety in the same boat that's that's some harsh harsh things that's downright criminally wrong is what it is um and it's kind of funny because a lot of these popped up recently um i'm kind of old so like uh i'm a perfect perfect example of it but i really there was something really there well i'm dyslexic as you all know um and I don't say I was ever, like, I try not to if I say it, I'm, you I'm always going to be dyslexic, I've just learned how to adapt to your way of doing things, and I had to, and that's, as uh, some of you know, that's how I ended up, uh, finding, um, finding out that I was dyslexic, I was in school, and then, Through that, they brought a teacher in that was actually doing a dissertation on the theory of dyslexia, and then he wanted me, and I became his proof, actually. Um, This is all high school. Uh, Then the military, he ended up showing it to the military. The military came after, but it wasn't for the dyslexia. It was for the affinity of me showing of patterns, and um, then that's what led me to getting in the military, going into psychological operations and knowing a lot getting the psychology behind a lot of this stuff along with living my my life uh and through it up until the age of 16 so uh, very heavy heavy abuse so this is the kind of the thing i wanted to kind of hit on real quick uh so even the you know cdc says that it's uh Limited to Not limited to depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. I mean, that's harsh, people. Uh, they're saying you have mental disorder. And a mental disorder or mental illness is a direct, almost equal to um, being labeled insane. Not insane, but you're not of right mind. And that means if they wanted to, they could, seriously could, uh, they could take your way, your right to vote your human rights, basically, the right to bear arms, you name it. Um, And that's even on Ritalin or whatever they have it now. Whatever those, any of those mental disorders, as long as you're taking medication for them and and you've been diagnosed with a mental disorder, and therefore they could start to take those away from you, just to let you know. Um, And then if you decide to deny that or in any way get mad about it and start to make a big deal about it, they'll just... Oh, they're the crazy ones. Okay, so I guess that is as much of a preamble as I'm going to give you. Um, now, what we're what I'm talking about in this podcast is going to be some of my um, how it is that I came about using some of these techniques, uh, what the techniques are, and why uh, they work, and why they don't now work without them well when they have to be tweaked and they have to be um i added on i I added on to it was built i didn't go from the ground up type thing on a lot of it but you have the foundation that's put down by the ones that came before you um and then you kind of adapt that to um you and it's not adaptation where you're you're just making your own shit like no you have to understand the human existence and uh the possibilities of how what to stay away from uh for it to blow up but you can never really calculate all that in the the biggest thing in a psychological evaluation or a uh, you getting to the bottom of understanding somebody else's anything is proper communication, um, which is very hard to talk about traumatic experiences, but um, knowing when to push, when to not push, and and how to extract information from somebody that doesn't want to. Uh, talk about it too much um they do but it's like their body shuts down and won't allow them okay um and that's what i talk about not forcing them to do it just getting past the hurdle of the body freezing um because it, that's where that it's trying to protect itself it doesn't want to it doesn't want to have to go through those emotional states again which it does every time it, it's access through the memory from the brain as soon as it remember it like remembers then it goes through all those emotional pains again and uh it doesn't want to do that so it stutters and um we i found some very creative ways um to work around that um and it's all about the proper speaking and communication and uh the true tricks I'll get into is when I can give examples so you'll understand. Um, and this is how it goes. Um, so when I said we were going to talk about something, uh, I have to give the examples and give it part of it or it will make no sense. It's just a bunch of big words like neurobiological, okay? Um, and, but that's how we're going to start off. Uh, because we're going to be speaking about the trauma that is happens to humans and children, especially, because that's when it sticks. That's when it happens most of the time. Yeah, there's plenty of other times, but this is what we're talking about today. Is the neurobiological legacy of trauma. And this is gonna be fascinating to some of you and to others, you might not get it. Um, And uh, direct, like along with that, it's funny because it's called attachment. Failure. Okay, so it's uh, some of the things that attach to itself or are attached to that issue. And failure being the biggest one, the self-loathing of oneself. Uh, Failure is one of the biggest ones. They feel a sense of failure. They let down or they didn't do something. And that's what attaches to that traumatic experience and the twofold of it all. But it's really three and we'll get into it. Um, so we're going to be, be able to, uh, I get to tell you about the ability to work with the imprinted trauma, if you will, uh, upon the person, the body, um, uh, and how the body sometimes fails. Uh, it doesn't fail you because it feels the emotions where the brain will actually trick you into only knowing certain things. Plus, during trauma, the body, a lot of them, goes into... Uh, dissociative state which doesn't allow memory to be uh, uh, regulated or actually done at all that's why a lot of trauma patients tell you they don't remember during those times because they really don't Um, and uh, that's because of the dissociation and uh, that's what I can tell you how true that is because me and my sisters when we were being abused physically and sexually that was one of the biggest ways that you would protect yourself Uh, it was coming no matter what, literally and figuratively, but you, you didn't want to be there. Like, so you we would leave. You could leave your head, like leave your body and it could be there getting the shit kicked out of it, but you're not feeling it because you're disassociated somewhere else. When you learn that, uh, like way of doing things at that young of an age, it's very, very powerful uh, because you become a master at it. So imagine what you could do as, a, as you get older, it really fucks things up. I, it, yeah. I mean, I was self-sabotaging my relations up to the age of relationships with women until the age of at least 24, 32, maybe now it was. Um, yeah. So it was pretty bad. Um, I had to learn unconditional love from my dog. Um, with, like, a dog, even like craziness, but learned is learned. Okay. So when I say the legacy of trauma, this is, this is a thing that is going to be really crazy to you to hear. If you've never heard it before it, uh, about the passing on of, uh, of different traumatic experiences down through the genetic line. Uh, and that doesn't make any sense, uh, in like when you hear it, but I'll explain a little bit about what I mean about the legacy of it. Um, it's a really good one. So uh, now, I had always been very intrigued about the uh, the nature of this uh, lack thereof of traumatic memory, and the fact that it didn't really conform to the way that we remember or half remember or whatever. When we compare that to other things we remember, uh, we are it's not even close. Uh, and that's because of the way that the memory or lack thereof of memory being stored because a lot of times you're in that dissociative state so outside you can't write memory. You can't write that down or can't write it in your memory so therefore it's going be almost like missing time. okay Anybody knows about the my aliens and their the missing time is a big thing and the owl and all that. But anyway, um, a good way to, uh, that I like to describe the post, well, the one you guys most know about, um, or think about is the post-traumatic syndrome, which is PTSD. Now, back in my day, we only thought that people that went to war got PTSD, and that was it, like, um, but, uh, you know, as we, as nowadays, uh, people are, they're, saying people have ptsd in a lot of different ways and um for some of the older generation it might be confusing uh for the, some of the newer generation they just don't know have anything to compare it to so it doesn't confuse them at all um and post yeah, as a result uh well with ptsd if i had to wrap it all up to go across all the generations Um, And still have one single meaning, I guess. Um, We kind of have to change the, it's a result of something, okay? PTSD is a result of a traumatic experience, right? So, um, I I changed it around a little bit and I call it, uh, it's the result of a failure of time to heal the wounds, And that's the most concise way I can put it. It rings true a lot better than their definition. Um, Basically, it means they haven't gotten over it yet. (laughs) Um, But it's said very nicely. The failure of time, there's just blaming it on something else like time, but... At the same time, it's their time. So the a time to heal all wounds or heal the wound. Um, okay. Think about that because it's a very true statement. And um, the, the key point is that that memory or the it's, uh, when I say that memory, memory of the trauma is not... Okay, let me repeat, is not integrated and accepted as a part of one's personal past. Now, these are the, the same thing that your worldview is based on. When I talked about worldview and how uh, your sense data is what makes the past, the past is considered the past in your head, and therefore it builds on the past. And if those the past is made under false pretenses, uh, then it's all built on a line, works into this. Exactly, it's a perpetual, which means over and over again. Perpetual, perceived, meaning you're perceiving it as this, but truly it's not. Um, and that perceived, perpetual, that over and over and over again, perceived thing, or perceived um, past Which is basically your history, so that's what it becomes. You're building on a fake, so that perpetual perceived meaning not right. Well, but that over and over again makes it right in your head. You know no better than it to be that way, and your memory accesses what happened in the past. It brings it to the forefront of. The now, which it's either pushed to the future or goes back to the past. But that's, you have to pull it out of the memory, okay? Now, depending on where you store that, um, because there's different, the memory is not part of the brain, okay? A lot of people don't know that. That's what I just said, if you don't remember. yeah, The, the, the memory is not part of the brain. I'll get into that later. Uh, there's a couple different parts of the brain, as we know, and, and uh, we'll get into that later too, but it's not part of the brain specifically like you would think. It, it And the memory is hegemonically, hegemonically meaning uh, there's a hegemony or a hierarchy to where the brain puts it in the memory and that where the, each one of those different parts has different uh, different ways uh different speeds at which it will get recalled okay and what's even crazier is your five senses are also in that hierarchy of being able to recall that data that you stored in your memory and they do it in different clarities speeds and all kinds of crazy stuff uh just a quick example so you don't think i'm just talking babble your sense of smell being the the most uh, the biggest one, which will recall a, uh, series of events or trauma. It doesn't even have to be traumatic. It can be good, but a series of events, the most out of the most clearly and the quickest out of all the senses, the sense of smell. If you don't believe me, think about that alcohol that you drink when you're in high school, that if you just smell, it, it makes you puke Southern comfort for me. Okay. Just smelling. It makes me puke. But think about that. We're going to move along. I don't want to stay on that too much until I'm ready to explain that. So, But that's what I mean when I say that it's a... um, The traumatic memory is that... um, It's part of one's personal past. It becomes real. And uh, instead of it being that integrated part of the memory why it can't be is what i'm trying to explain here because it has been in it, it is a disassociate disassociated okay so that's why like i was saying before they don't remember because they weren't in their body they were like outside they were disassociated when the trauma or while the trauma occurs therefore it's not imprinted into the memory because it can't never made it um and in particular events or a series of these events can alter a humans or people's psychological, their biological and social equilibrium for the rest of their lives. And then continue on as a legacy. And again, something we're going to talk about. Um, and that's, that's massive when you can pass it along. And that's some fascinating stuff I get to talk about finally. Um, now, we need to understand the scope of really what uh, uh, what's going to allow you to make sense of very confusing things. Of uh, it almost becomes a paradoxal kind of um, symptom that a traumatized individual um, will experience. And when I say a traumatized, so imagine, you can be traumatized by many different things. It doesn't have to be a physical, mental abuse. I um, for example, well, this is probably mental abuse, but uh, political trauma, this perfect example nowadays of what's going on that I can give you these examples, political trauma being one of them, the way you guys fucking have about Bush and all this crap, okay, that's trauma, maybe. So political trauma, another great one that most of us can understand because it recently happened to all of us. Or at least, if, you know, most of it was trauma of terrorism. Uh, trauma of like the whole vaccination and the, the, that trauma of that. That's going to be with you for the rest of your life. and You're going to pass that down to your children. That you're, the way you act and the way that affected you and you've changed the way you live. It's become part of your worldview and what you're going to pass along to the children. And truly, it doesn't it might not have any bearing on it anymore. Um, this is kind of a quick example of what I'm talking about. How you can pass it down like a legacy and something that could be, well, you experience it might not be true anymore. Um, but just a quick thing on that. Uh, but that's kind of how I'm comparing, not comparing, but showing you if you haven't been to traumatize the childhood in any way, uh, you understand how it can be so you get a little idea about it That's me trying to explain to somebody that didn't Can't understand trauma like that if they've never had it not that they would remember anyway right? <laughs> um, Now Getting back to the basics as I like to say I uh, like history itself in we have to remember that, that trauma is relative, okay? Uh, while we're at a young age that this happens, we are very vulnerable. Therefore, it has a, a harder and longer impact on us. Not demeaning by any means anybody that's had trauma as they got older. I'm just saying it's simply... And when you're younger, the, it's a more intense, uh, there's no filtration or, or defense of you not being able to feel it. It's just, uh, that way that, um, just when you're v- more vulnerable, you get hurt more, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, and, uh, the body shows that, for example, um, be it an accident in a car, They're kind of relating to it, to give you an example, a drunk driver is driving down the highway, so if somebody else is not drunk driving, uh, the drunk driver is relaxed, uh, all kind of like drunk and not whatever, He they get into an accident, he didn't see it coming because he's causing it, so when the accident happens, he doesn't know what's happening, and he might not get hurt. That's a good percentage of accidents by drunk drivers. The other people are hurt. Why uh, not only did they get an accident, but they also saw the accident coming and they, they stiffened up and they got ready for that accident, which caused a lot more damage. Um, it's something that is it's built in us to do that. Um, but it also will cause more injuries, um, I know that's a weird way to relate it, but I'm trying to figure out something that everybody can relate to, um, at least a little. Um, now, this also happens, um, the body goes through more of, the, that's what the brain is trying to protect, is the body. So, it doesn't want him to go through that pain again, because the brain itself doesn't feel pain. It's the body that feels pain, and the, the, you know, it needs it to live, so it's going to protect it. Basically. Um, now, to give you a good idea about what I call an attachment signature, okay, uh, what that means is that attachment signature that is like being uh, it's attached to whatever the traumatic event is. So, for example, if you use frightened, okay, now, just hear this out. Uh, obviously, f- being frightened is a result of pain, right? You fear the pain. So, that frightened is being a result of the same symptoms as abuse itself, because that's what it is. So, if you're the signature of being abused is sits there at frightened. And this, now pay attention closely, is not only does the one that's being abused have traumatic experiences in the signature of frightened, but so does what, the best way I could say is called it the frightened caregiver, if you will. And what I mean is the one that oversees or protects or uh, let's say it's a child and it's his mother and it's his dad uh, or her husband that beats them, okay? But I don't like to say it like that. I like to put it the other way. They young child gets to see mother get beaten and falling down and and then it starts to feel. While it was only overseeing or watching it, it still not only feels the pain, but they, they've done research that says uh, that they compare this to PTSD, and we'll get into that. But they they are they those researchers say, and I you can see it that, that that it's very possible that they go through the same traumatic experience as the one that's actually being abused. Why? Because the brain is making the body go through basically the same thing and that of course means that the parental fighting um if any of you are parents um then you might want to pay very close attention to what i'm about to say because they don't believe things like this and this is what happens when I ask all the time about, you know, somebody will say, oh, well, you know, we stay together for the kids. You know, a married couple that wanted to get divorced and finally are divorced and they're talking about it. Uh, We wanted to do it for the kids. That is the biggest crock of shit that you should ever fucking, like, hear in your, that's horrible. That is the biggest lie and they know it. Um, That is the worst thing you can do for a child. If, you want to, if you're not happy with each other, the best thing for you and the child is to get divorced. Because at a young age, they're more susceptible to these feelings than any time else. If you think you're hiding them, you're sadly mistaken. That kid can feel the tension in the air. And that tension becomes his or her attention. And they live that life just like you do. And you don't know that it's happening to them. You think just because you're aggressively giving the finger to your spouse that that baby doesn't know what that means. It knows how it feels if it's there. Okay? As they get older in the fighting, they you might not know they're there. You think you're waiting to fight when they're not there. But I'm. if they're like me, we were at the top of the stairs listening to them fight. Okay? They didn't know, but we were there. And... This is the kind of thing, don't do that Don't ever do it for the kids like that You're so wrong, so far off uh, The best thing for a kid If you really care about it At that time Is for the household to be Their lack of that So That's a big thing And I always get into the arguments With the psychologists and everybody Saying that that's untrue And they should have a family like support system That's together Fuck that, that's untrue and it is like if they really think about that, <clears throat> they could understand that's not right. But um, so that's what, it, you know, we talked about with the whole um, transferring of um, almost a kind of like a placebo action. But anyway, the witness of violence. Uh, so the one that has the, the victim of violence and the victim of watching the violence uh, can have the same traumatic effect upon them. And, of course, that means it often, like I said, the parental fighting will get into that. And and that's what the adults don't know. And and even when it gets to a point where uh, weird things, like, you wouldn't even think about, which would be uh, the words, like, even when it's done in jest, it's, oh, I'm going to kill you, okay? When those words come out, be it them, it, be it in fun or in... In jest or in in, in uh, when you're mad, depending on the age of that child, um, that is a traumatic experience because the kid does not know, the child doesn't understand that that's a joke. Okay? It just hears it and it takes it to be serious. So that child can't explain that or explain what he's going through, but that's what he's going through. He's sitting back and thinking that mom's going to kill dad or dad's going to kill mom. And then blames it on himself or herself. And what did I do? And I did this. I must have done this because that's happening. And that's where it all starts. Like, really? And it's wrong. And I start off so many of my sessions talking to people and saying, it's not your fault. First of all, it's not your fault. And, you know, That's the biggest thing. Everybody, we all blame ourselves. And so be careful. Just the words that come out of your mouth will uh, really can scar some things. And uh, that's why we get into the PTSD a lot was the transferal of PTSD down into their sibling or not sibling into their offspring. Um, I found this, uh, uh, absolutely, now I'm not, I'm never having kids, so, uh, but a lot of different reasons, I, but still, a, that's a fascinating thing to me that I never thought that would be possible, I never even thought really that way, that you would think that PTSD, which is a reaction to some traumatic e- events that happened over in the war or something else, that how would that be, be able to be passed genetically or down to their their offspring. Well, it's very... makes sense now, is somebody explained it to me, and I'll explain it to you. That's an extraordinary piece of research whoever did that was. Her name was Rachel something other, and I can't remember. Uh, but the... This lady did this research. is most amazing, like... It took a lot of balls to do this, too, but she... She was doing this uh, research on the PTSD and how it would go down into a uh, legacy, uh, as I was calling it before. But she was doing uh, the research as in uh, the effects of parental PTSD, and she was using Holocaust survivors. Okay, now get this Holocaust survivors and their adult children. Okay. And she was very carefully, very elegantly, is what she had to. She divided them up into uh, two separate groups. In one group that had their, they had had trauma in their life. Their own trauma, not passed down PTSD trauma. Okay. And uh, they had had their own trauma in childhood. And the other group had uh, no known exposure to trauma in their lifetime okay so getting these twos apart and then what she found uh, was regardless i'm going to say this slow so you get, kind of really understand this that regardless of the trauma status of either group a person in either group of the adult children that she was doing testing on okay if the parents had ptsd of any kind the child statistically was likely to have ptsd that's what the numbers said that's fascinating um there's all kinds of uh, trauma that you don't think about be it um, medical trauma if you are under anesthesia or something and you wake up and you're being worked on that's trauma um accidents surgeries Uh, But but if you're born with a birth defect, cardiac problems, any of that, that is uh, cystic fibrosis, any of the ones that have really harsh treatment, cancer, um, any of those that have real harsh treatments are going to be very traumatic for the person. And if that can be gone down, like that's both psychologically and physically fucked up and and their kids going to suffer from that because they did. That was fascinating information to me. Um, So maybe that helps or is some new way of thinking for you because I know that was different and new and awesome to know that. And one of the biggest ones that a lot of people don't think about, you know, trauma or trauma... Trauma is one thing, but when you're describing trauma, you use traumatic. And sometimes it's not... You can't use it because that's not what it is. And sometimes I like to uh, put in a, a different adjective because it's not really traumatic; it's horrific. So again, when you think of something as horrific uh, and not necessarily necessarily traumatic, and an example of that would be uh, a child going, being very young, uh, when a parent figure dies. Okay, and that would be a would that be a horrific? That would be horrific, not necessarily traumatic. Um, that'd be goddamn horrific. Why? And what that means is, I when you're young and you have it, and I had my father pass away um, last year, and it wasn't traumatic or horrific, but I under I'm a very different person. But uh, you know, loved and he'll be missed. But the Parent being taken away from a child at a young age, that that's still fresh in their mind that that child that child is still looking at, at the parent as unequal to what safety is. Okay, they knows that that thing that person is what feeds it and takes care of it and makes it all like okay, and now it loses that, so it thinks. In its head, it just knows loss is being, oh, that could be danger, Will Robinson, danger. And that's how it, that child is thinking about these things. And we don't think of it like that as older people. And uh, while it still affects us in a different way, it's not like that. Um, and we forget sometimes. And if you didn't know, now you know, as Dre would say. Um... So that's really uh, what I like to say about uh, a little bit about what you don't know, um, and that legacy is one thing I wanted to get get across. Um, but if we move into, um, mm well, the horrific experiences is is something you know, like that loss. But uh, when I talk with people, and we talk about traumatic events, it's kind of I I don't want to demean it as or deli- belittle it. I um, I always t- usually make a joke if they're okay with, like I have to j- like sit and see if they're they're ones that are gonna be okay with their joke but when you recognize and then talk about a symptom or a event that is traumatic I um, I always let him know about the legacy part of it. Um, in a joke, and I'll, I'll explain it in here in a second. But the top three, any psychol, psych, psycholo- any of the cycle, psycholo- like middle uh, American Western society, whoever. Uh, Any of them are going to tell you this part is right, but how I deal with it is wrong. But we'll see about that. Um, Now, the first, what we do know, and they can agree with this, the three, the top three symptoms of a traumatic experience when dealing is depression, okay, this is with the PTSD, basically. Um, and you have to know that this PTSD is, as well as, di- uh, it's a disorder, well, they call it a disorder. And if it's presented, be it an anxiety disorder, a, uh, any kind of disorder, pain disorder, they even have your eating disorder, your addictive disorders, uh, how do they use that word? Suicidility. Anyway, suicide disorders. It's a thing, people, uh, self-harm disorders, big thing. Dealt with that a lot. I had uh, someone who was a bulimic and a cutter and and that was an ex-fiance. So I learned a lot about that, but self-harm is a real big one. Um, one that they don't put out there, but it's off the books, but I put it in there is, um, Borderline personality disorder, um, all associated with direct trauma. And a lot of people don't understand that, but those, the symptoms that come off of those things, the three are, uh, the top three happen to be, um, where I'm going to hit each one of them, but, um, the depression being one of the top ones. Um, so when I say say this, uh, a lot of people get a little bit squirrely about it, um, and our psychologists uh, usually are, they don't get it, and it's funny that the people that I'm helping, they get it because they've lived through it, and that's why I'm making it, that's how they know it's funny, and so do I, and the, the other psychologists, they don't think it's funny at all, because well, they don't get it, so they don't consider it to be funny, or they don't want to laugh. They consider, oh, well, you're making fun of their disorder or something. Um, well, sort of. You've got to make light of something that you can't do anything about anymore. If something has happened in the past, the actual the actual trauma has happened in the past. It's only the residuals that are happening now. Those are all the symptoms of it and what they bring. Um, so making fun of the actual trauma th- thing is fine. In my way of doing things, uh, to them, they would say it's positive reinforcement of the drama and bringing it back out, which in some ways I agree with because the way they do uh, dealing with trauma is they want them to talk about it, which is... A right in some ways but it also don't forget it brings back the memory the brain has to go and recall that for them to be able to talk about it which they never have a good remember it couldn't write it correctly so they're bringing back all the pain that they know uh, or it's been put in there uh, all for this false memory ish um, and that's what happens when they talk about it so talking about it's fine I understand what they're saying but at the same point they're not having the best recollection. They won't have the best recollection of it and talking about it um, on a continuous basis. When they come into you for help, it's going to be associated when they leave that uh, that's pain. And I don't like we don't like to do that. And it's going to be a sense of contention when they have to come back and see the psychologist that, oh, that was a pain in the ass. I don't want to have to go through that. Well, my system goes around that in a way, and I'll explain that. And this is the difference between them and I, is I know what kind of potholes to avoid uh, being through it and caring a little bit more about it. Um, So to really quickly... Go over the. Um, it's very important the order I put this in. Um, yeah. Because I want you to understand, as I understood it, was the ground up, and that's why I started with my experiences. I. Didn't really go into how I handled it, but that's not necessary at the time. Uh, but now you know how I get some of my thought processes and, uh, uh how I work it into, um, me speaking about it. Um, we got through the, basically the first part of our leg, the legacy kind of thing. Um. And really, like, I, that memory is really what I, I want to drive home because a lot of people don't quite understand how important that is. Um, so... Those first times when... Uh, somebody I'm going to be speaking with is coming to the first time to come and speak with me. Uh, Now, of course, I can't prepare for that because I never know and then don't know what it is that they're coming to talk to me about. Um, But so it's hard to prepare for something like that specifically until I know what it is specifically, then it's one of like six things for me. Um, And this is probably the most important part of doing i'm going to start to use counseling just because that's what most people say Uh, part of that counseling is and this is what they do so wrong in the western society in america um that i feel is that lasting impression um their first one and last one's almost incorrect and So, when they let's try to when they come in and I can tell that I know why they're there you know like like let me back that up when they walk in I know that they're coming for help I don't know what it is that they've had and and This has to be... I found it best in my way of... uh, uh, My system, if you will. Is to allow... The patient or to... The one I'm speaking with... To... Most of the steps... To take upon itself... To start the healing process because they're the one that's going to do the healing. We're just going to give them the tools to do so. Okay. So it's always better. In my book, this is always usually against the normal psychology thought process in normal psychology. You come in, you see the L and the lady looks at a time, brings out a pen and paper, looks directly at you and maybe asks you a question and goes right at it. Not very great bedside manner, if you ask me, um, which is very important when you're talking with a tra- a traumatized person. Um, they're total stranger. Usually, that's how the people want it, unless it's forced by the government or the state for penalty of whatever of a crime or something. But it's a lot of people say that it's easier talking to a stranger. They're not judged, and. Even if they are, they'll never see the person again. So they'd rather talk to a total stranger because it's easier to. Um, so with normal psychology, they'll bring you in and they'll, you know, kind of jump right into it usually. Uh, then you have your fringe psychologists who would take on their own model like I do. And knowing that they're here, not knowing what is specific, I can guarantee, I just about guarantee that it's, for a traumatic experience, no one's in there telling me they have problems with the over jubilation. Okay, so I know it's a traumatic experience. So, what do I do? It is, I will write on the wall. Uh, usually, I have a, a little like poster board thingy up, and it has like basically the core issues on them in the middle, and then off the core issues, I'm all around it. Is a bunch of adjectives or words, and these are symptoms of what the core issues are. Okay, now why I'm preparing this way is because I know that they're going to have some of these because they've had a traumatic experience. Not at a core, the core issue is a traumatic experience or based off of that most of the time. So you've got to be right about every single one of those in what well that apply to them well I also know by psychology I know in my head from that I know the human brain how it works the human body how it works how it lies why it lies well what it does when the body like I can tell by the body movements about that also um, and then That's how it's gonna go. Is they're gonna go up and I let them roam around, okay? Most uh, your normal psychologists, they'll have you come and sit down, lay down, I don't know, lay down. Do they do that anymore? Um, I'll tell them they can stand or walk around. And I mean, they're in the room, so there's gonna be very small. As if you've ever been in my room, you know. But strategically placed things um, work wonders in a small place. Because they have nothing else to go to uh, but to it, okay? So to them, it's random. To me, it's very calculated, and it's that's how you want to do things. You want to be able to ask questions that you know the answers to as much as possible because surprises make you adjust on the fly and then move in different directions. And if you're not good at that, the, that's going to be recognized by the person you're helping in uh that's not a good thing. You're always got to be in control, and in most of the time, you can show emotions but still be in control. Um, and this is the psychology behind the psychology, and my, like this is where my own take on it is. So, as you've been in, if you've been in my room, you know that that this bed where I sit, and I've made an entire scene behind me. So the person that's sitting across from me in the chair, they are seeing one thing. And and that is a, when I do my rooms, it's a whole ordeal. But I do it from two perspectives. I sit on my bed where I face them and I make my up to my peripheral vision all a scene. And then I go and sit in the chair of where they're going to be and looking back at me and I make that a scene. So I know what they're looking at. I know what they're looking at, and I know what I'm looking at. That's a huge, huge advantage. Now, that can be changed by the way I want them, maybe make them feel, or make them perceive me, or whatever. It's a big advantage. Now, see, also the the well placed, uh, little, uh, poster or, well, it's a more, a board. But it having all of those symptoms, um, is they're going to walk around now. You don't have any place to go except out the door, which they're hopefully wouldn't do, and um, or they're going to go the other way, which is where that board's going to be, and it's going to be right in their face. Now, at that point, um, it, it is one is such a key aspect of the timing. Because at this point, we, I haven't said anything. I haven't started bombarding them with questions. I'm not sitting there staring at them and expecting them to talk. Um, I'm allowing them to look around. They still feel, uh, you know, free in a way. Because they're walking around. They don't have to be stationary. And... Uh, then I hit them with a very calculated... Uh, And as I call layered question that I know the answer to, to them, there's no way they would think I would know the answer because they, how would he know the answer to something that I haven't even said yet? And that's the whole thing. Well, they don't need to say it. I know that they're going to pick whatever applies to them in from all those symptoms that are up there. So, that's when I have to interject for the first time, and I have got to start it off in a way. Well, you know, so something has to break the ice, okay? So that I, it's still that stalemate right now of silence, which is good. Um, and being the one that has to be in control, that's why I speak first and the words that come out of my mouth are very well calculated in their way they are put and it is asking them i ask them if they notice, ask them to notice what looks familiar to them well that's a simple enough question that doesn't invoke any pain it doesn't do any of that somebody's asking me to listen Something that looks familiar, that that's going to cause them instantly to feel good. Familiar is good. It's not bad. Um, that's the first way the brain works, and it doesn't come off like that. So that is when I can tell by the way their head goes up and where I actually put the words on the paper, I know where they are. So I can tell by even when they have their back to me, why their head moves, which way they're looking, and it's separated. They don't know that. But it's separated into symptoms in different ways. So I can tell by the way they move their head. Which ones they're looking at. And. There's one of two kinds of people. Or two answers. And it's not really answers. But. yeah, I'm, It's the defense mechanism. That you're going to get. Um, usually in this first. Thing. I Now I get these. Uh, <laughs> I get these kind of people. And this is the kind of deflective, uh, so I ask them what, basically what it is that they find familiar up there. And the answer in one form or the other, I get from a certain kind of people, um, is them chuckling and then saying, well, which one am I not familiar with? Okay, instantly I know what kind of person I'm dealing with uh, when it is involved in what we're about to do. It is somebody that is... They made a joke about everything that it's not. Okay, they didn't give me a straight answer. They didn't say, oh, this, this, and this. They're still kind of a little off about that. They don't know how they feel about saying it yet to maybe a total stranger um they show recognition through their their laughter is a recognition that they weren't expecting so you get a laugh out of them then it's the clamming up and decide depending on how they want to express it and this is when it comes out as well which one of it's not they don't want to say which one it is but they are correct in saying okay I used the same tactic uh, when I was trying to figure out and define a lover, okay, and what that actually meant. I couldn't come up with the definition of a lover. Um, it, and so basically, this is a little tidbit of, of thinking that will blow people's minds because it is not very well out there. And people are like, wow, that's crazy. It is crazy. And it works. If you can't come up with the definition or what something is, and you come to that threshold like threshold of I just can't do it. Well then making it if you can't tell me what it is, then you obviously can tell me in great detail what it's not. So make a list, an exhaustive list of everything that it's not. Be honest with that list. And whatever is left over inherently has to be correct as being what it is. And I'll repeat that. If you need to find the answer to something and you don't know what it is that, what it is, then think differently. Go the other way. If you don't know what it is and can't tell what it is, you sure in hell know what it's not. So make that exhaustive, real, honest list. And whatever you have left over is what it is. Okay. Think about that. And so that's used to solve many problems. Um, Recently, that's what it was for me. It was the lever thing, but um, it's also, I also use it in this kind of thing. He is using it. This one would use it as, well, which one it's not like I got all those except the ones that it's not. He's not ready to say which ones it is, but he's given away that a lot of things in that answer. So um, that's a big, big thing, and I now automatically I I know what I'm dealing with. Uh, now I, on the opposite side of the spectrum, I would have a young lady come in, and she says, um, she goes, "Wow!" Basically, upside down, mom. You know, she goes, "Wow!" I, you know, I thought that the wait a minute. She goes, I thought these were Wait, these are symptoms? And uh, you kind of wait and nod your head and she's like I thought that those meant that something was wrong with me. They were black marks or something. You know what I mean? Like, They're relieved, almost joyous to realize and to now know that those are symptoms and they're symptoms of a traumatic experience, not a A failure in their world like what they do and and that's a great moment too uh when they see that it's so much relief for them um now the next question that confuses the shit out of the therapist um and is kind of why (laughs) the cold is even made uh but it very, very rarely does confuse the the actual person that I'm helping. It just confuses the therapist because they're not used to thinking in that way. But, um... You hear that? That's Rishi Hunt. Um... <laughs> But anyway, uh, that's the whole thing. I, I'll get to that that uh, thing about the um, the therapist and their their thing here in a second. But um, but it, it's about how I go. The questions I ask that are a direct lead into, uh, the beginning of the healing, okay, now, in the, client or whatever, even the person that I'm helping, in their head, uh, they now have kind of made the first healing mood, or move, basically, uh, because it was more their idea. I mean, I asked the question to start it all off, but it wasn't a question of, it wasn't directly like bombardment by any means. Um, it allowed them to make the first move of giving, you know, uh, starting to talk and then comes a point where I do have to retort and I have to put together a series of questions and the series of questions that I'm going to ask is only three of them uh, in this, to begin it, because three is the pattern, of course. And three are the three major top three symptoms of a traumatic experience, no matter what it is. Uh, these top three are depression. Okay, I started it almost before. I'm um, telling you, but depression, irritability, and Do anybody know what the third one is? Anybody? It's not caring. Or lack of caring. Or numbing, basically. So, numbing. Irritability. Depression. Starts with depression, then moves into uh, irritability, and then goes into numbing. And yeah the psychologists usually are okay with that they're just they don't understand why I word it the way I do and that is my first question coming in av- my second question sorry is going to uh, the way that I ask the question doesn't allow um, them to think that or even in any way I'm not putting it as negative uh, traumatic experience and this is what I mean I have to say it first and then I'll try to explain it which is very rare it's usually the other way around and this is where the psychologist people get really upset because i will ask how did the depress i know the depression is on their list no matter what so now they're going to start to see magic because they never told me but i know wow okay so i'll ask them how did uh, for instance the depression help you survive now if you really think about the way that question's posed The psychologists get mad because you just directly correlated uh, it in almost a positive manner, and that's not a, what I did at all. What, unlike they, what they do, is they try to stay away from those things. I never even brought up. The negative or the actual traumatic experience. I actually turned it in to what it was. Which is a positive uh, thing that happened out of it all. Was their survival. Okay, they survived it. Okay, that's what I was talking about. Uh, Do we have to say depression? Absolutely, because that's one of the symptoms that we're going to deal with. And the depression... And when I asked them how it is the depression helped them survive, I directly in stopped there for a reason. I didn't even have to say what it is that I don't even know yet. I don't know what that traumatic experience is, but they do, and that's all that matters. And the, the, all I have to do is say, how did you survive with the depression? And these people are very quickly answered. And they're again almost happy to do it because the negative haven't started in yet. Uh, Meanwhile, your normal psychologist is going to try to take them back and, you know, kind of get an idea about. They want the memory recollection. I'm doing this slow, slower but quicker, and them not to know about it. They're going to think it was their idea, and this is beautiful part of it. So moving in and asking that question they they are freely openly tell you actually happily telling you about it and this is which comes a very uh, very important to, uh, for, for me is what they say because they're going to tell me all about their i can tell what their traumatic experience is by the time i get to the second one for sure by the second one i got it down but the first one they'll usually say I used to, they're talking about using depression. They're like, oh, I used it as my cocoon or my cave. That um, I hear that more as a, that aspect of it from a female more than the males are a little pussy and they don't want to say it. So they usually go about it differently. But that's how it, that's how it's usually said is a, ca- a cocoon or a cave. And it's something that protected them. Okay. They use the word hid a lot and they hid in a special space safe place, Um, and it was like a buffer that separated them from what was going on, not specifically people, but people, and the real world, Um, and I automatically, that's normal, Um, so I move on directly to go on about, don't give them too much time to re, I'm not trying to get them to access the memory of the experience, I want it before the experience or after the experience. And this is what it's, why it's so calculated. Is How about uh, how about the irritability? How did that irritability help you to survive? Now, I don't like to use numbers unless they're true. And 90% of people said the same thing. They got asked that question. That the irritability helped uh, them to push people away. And I find that see, I fucking amusing as shit. Um, And I'll chuckle inside I, And why, you ask But I'm the biggest introvert, extrovert ever I know what that is is. I'm Unfortunately, we're usually the one Like, I'm usually the one that's now getting Pushed away But I know that feeling And I uh, when I go and start doing my podcast And this and that and other things I, I have to get away from people You know what I mean? So I start to push them away by acting irritable Or fucking like that And anybody that knows me will tell you that's just fucking true shit so now, them by not, them not denying it, I know that it's they're ready to tell the truth. They don't know that I know the truth, or at least know, but they haven't denied any of this yet, so of course, and they're letting little pieces slip out that they don't even know they're asking, letting it happen. So that's kind of funny with the irritability. It gives them a way to get people away. Um, and the final one, Well, not final, because we have uh, the not mattering. Because loss of interest is up there with... It's kind of in between. The loss of interest comes right after the irritability. After they're irritable and they know they can push people away, uh, then they're there by themselves and they start to... um, they start to literally and figuratively not matter and what happens at this point in the trauma or the leading on to hopefully it's getting better but like right now what they're descri- they're describing is a bad thing it's the the uh, the linear version of how they're going to the wrong place and it's a linear thing because it goes in sequential order into bad, okay? Um, The loss of interest, you will ask them about the loss of interest and how that helped them uh, to survive. And that's a horrific thing for them or for us because we know it and that's, that's allowing them to not matter to themselves. And this is where some of the most powerful trauma is experienced because they give up the lack of caring of themselves and let anything down, they might become whores, okay, or whatever, because they don't care about themselves or anything, and they're not going to let anything hurt them, and they're not going to let them take away anything from me ever again, I'm just going to go numb, and that's what the next one is, is going numb, and they want to go numb so they don't feel the pain of being, something being taken from them, be it sexual or physical abuse, they can't take it from me because I don't feel it, that's where the disassociative start, stop, start, starts, okay, the whole nine yards, And then you pat him on the back about the hole like you survived, and and uh, w- you know that's the whole pathological model that I use, and it's not something new. It's just my adaptive model. Okay, well that's it for today. That's going to be the first part of uh, this talk, and um, I'll leave you with that to think about. Uh, the second part will come later tonight, and I'll go into the rest of it. So, Cyrus, and uh, see you later.